Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. How's everybody today? Have you had enough practice saying Merry Christmas? Merry Christmas. Everybody's smiles working today? How about our hands? Hands are working. Good. Hopefully you'll use them. You'll use them here a little bit today. This is our Christmas season. We are in a Christmas series that we are entitling The Gift, knowing that Jesus is the greatest gift ever given to us. And last week, for those of you that are here, Dr. Scott, didn't he do an amazing job last week? helping us kick off this series. He talked about just how God intervened in the earthly lineage of, of, of uh, Jesus by sending him. He also intervened into our family dysfunction. And many of us have seen God move, and because of the relationship that we have with Jesus, our family lineage has been interrupted. How many of you appreciate the fact that the grace of the cross is greater than any sin in our family trees? Yeah. He also reminded us that because of Jesus, the sin in my family tree can stop with me. How many of you would say, Pastor John, I'm a first-generation Christian. I'm, I'm the first in my family to serve the Lord. Look at this. That's incredible. That's incredible. I love that. And today, as we continue with week two, here's what we're going to find. The birth of Jesus is a very familiar story, and we're going to continue this story. And here's my goal for today. This is what I want to do. I want to help you connect that story to your story. I think there's some things in that story that'll help us see our story a little bit better. Today, we're going to play off this image of a wrapped gift. Can you imagine that? A wrapped gift. There's a box. You don't know what's inside, but there's some wrapping paper that are there. Be honest with me. How many of you, when parents put the gifts under the tree, you're the one that likes to go and shake it to try to figure out what it is? Some of you are like, I'm not admitting to that. There's no way right? You like to guess what's in there. The wrapping can, can fool you. And uh, today we're going we're gonna to look at God's gift of divinity wrapped in Mary's womb of humanity. And we're going to look at this gift that's here. And if you read the story callously, here's the conclusion that you're going to come to. The world was a mess. It could not be fixed by man alone. So God found a righteous virgin and, and, and her betrothed man of character, and he gifted the, his eternal son to be born of her virginity, to ultimately become savior of the world, and that he would fix everything that was broken in the world. That's the summary of the Christmas story that's there. And if you just read through it quickly, that's all you're going to pick up. But I need you to understand, when we look closer from Joseph's perspective, that's not the case. That's not at all what happened from Joseph's perspective. What do you mean, Pastor Don? What are you talking about? Listen, he came from a good family. He came very well respected. He had a beautiful wife to be. His world was already great. It wasn't broken. As a matter of fact, if you were to ask Joseph a few days before, he would have said, things are going pretty good. Things are going really, really good. Well, and here he is with this beautiful wife-to-be. And I think to understand and set up a little bit, you need to understand, here in the United States, we have some traditions as it relates to marriage that didn't exist back then. 
In today's world, in our modern world, in the U.S., we have this period of time where, where a man and a woman get together and they date. How many of you are familiar with what I'm talking about, the dating season, right? The commitment level in a dating season is just relational. And then, like Beyonce says, if he wants it, keep it. He's got to put a ring on it. And so that man will come, and we go from dating to engagement. And engagement is not a legal commitment at this stage, but it's a very public commitment at this stage. I watch you while we're worshiping. Some of you single folks are looking at that left hand to see if there's a ring on it or not. And if you see that ring, you're like, well, God bless him. I'm going to look for somebody else. There's, 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 there's kind of a very public commitment that happens at that stage. And then we go and we all gathered around and we have a marriage ceremony. And at that point, that's when it becomes legal, right? So we've got this relational commitment that we step up and engagement to this public commitment. And at the wedding is when it becomes legal. In this ancient Jewish custom, it was a little different. It looked a little bit different. What happened was you started off, there was an arrangement that was made. Two daddies got together and brokered a deal. Some of you are like, wait, what's he talking about? They would get together. This arrangement would take place, and then they would agree there would be an exchange of resources that would happen. If you think about it, a daughter growing up in a household was able to provide a lot for that house in terms of upkeep and help and, and making sure that everything was taken care of. And when she got married off, one family gained and the other family lost. There was an exchange of resources that they would make to try to compensate for that. So right off the bat, you didn't have this dating period. There was an arrangement. And then they were betrothed. That man and that woman were betrothed together, kind of like an engagement, only here's the thing you need to know. It was very public, and it was legal at that point. Once that commitment was made, once that betrothal was there, that was a legal commitment. He started calling her wife. She started calling him husband. And then later on, they had the wedding where the relationship was consummated. When, when they were betrothed, they were fully married, but she was still living with daddy. When the wedding took place, when they were married, now she's living with her husband in a consummated relationship. So when you hear Mary and Joseph were betrothed, I need you to understand in this context, they were legally and very publicly married, but she was still living in her parents' house, not with him, and he had a house separate. Y'all follow me so far? All right, let's dig in and I'll show you. Here's what happens. They're betrothed. Joseph has a very public and expensive God-family-honoring relationship with Mary. He's done everything right up to this point. Look where our story picks up in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, that was public and legal, to Joseph before they came together, in other words, while she was still living in her father's house away from him, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, the author Matthew gives us that last little bit of detail at the end, that that, that pregnancy was a result of the Holy Spirit, but that wasn't the initial understanding that Joseph had, was it? Scripture says she was found to be with child. How many of you know that's a problem? That's a problem. If it were today, he'd be calling Dr. Phil. He'd be looking for maternity tests. We'd be seeing this on the news. What's going on? What's happening here? Somebody hold up. What do you mean she's pregnant? I'm married to her. She's living with her daddy. Daddy, what happened while I was gone? This is a problem for him. And as a God-fearing Jew, Joseph has a few options at this point. 
prescribed by Scripture and Jewish law. Let's look at what his options are. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 23 through 24. If she's complicit in this pregnancy, here's what happens. If there's a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Some of you are like, I had no idea that was in the Bible. That was what happened when a betrothed virgin winds up pregnant. He has another option. There was another option on the table. Her pregnancy for now doesn't have to be made public. He could just privately divorce her. Look at this, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. Listen, there's a decision facing Joseph right now. All is calm, all is bright. Not in that house. Mary, you got some explaining to do. Here's what the decision facing Joseph is. I could only imagine. I love my wife. I could have her stoned or I could put her out privately. But either way, I can no longer be with her. This picture-perfect family, this picture-perfect scenario, this picture-perfect season, this idea of what things were going to look like for Joseph is no longer possible. How many of you think that pregnancy is still a gift? Joseph didn't think so. Joseph didn't think so in that moment. Let's look what happens as we continue our story. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. In other words, instead of going public that would likely result in her death, look what he does. He resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, that's a very important statement. We're going to come back to that here in just a minute. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's a lot to process. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's our Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Yeshua that means Jehovah the Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name, what? Jesus. See, you and I have the beginning, have the ability to read that story. We have the benefit of seeing the beginning and the end happen very quickly, right? It's just a few seconds as you're reading from verse 20 all the way down to 25. When you see she was found with child, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, what happens? And then you can start reading and see immediately what happens. How many of you know that didn't happen for Joseph? She was found with child. Now she's got some explaining to do. He's trying to figure this out. Isn't it crazy how our life has a way of stretching things out and we don't get to see the end when we see the beginning? We have to wait until the end to look back and see how the beginning was part of the end and how God had something in store the whole time. When I'm reading this, the amount of, oh, no, what's next time is in seconds. 
when I'm living it, sometimes it takes years to figure out what God is doing. Wouldn't it be great if you and I could see the end of our unexpected and unwanted situations at the same time we see the beginning? Wouldn't that go well for you? I remember being in high school. It was the first time that I ever had a girlfriend break up with me. I, I was, I, you know, no sympathy from her. Oh. I was devastated. Y'all can laugh all you want. I was devastated. I thought my world was set. This is what I'm going to do. This is everything that's going on. And I remember being embarrassed and, and devastated and angry. She had a boyfriend the next day. Now I got the sympathy from you. Yeah, now I got the sympathy from you. I remember my mom in that season would talk to me and say, baby, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I remember thinking, how do you even know? Like, how do you really know? Like, I was in love, and, you know, it, just, it was just devastating me. And eventually, with time, I started to see how things were working for the better. So you have to understand, neither she nor I were serving Jesus at the time. It was, it was not a great relationship from moral standards. And as time would have it, her and her new boyfriend would get saved. They would get called into ministry and today are pastors back in Texas. How crazy is that? Right? Yeah. And then for me, on my end, I got saved, called into ministry. I met Kayla and ended up paying her a whole lot of money to tell people that we were married. It didn't, didn't happen that way? Okay. Looking back, that breakup was one of the greatest gifts that I had ever been given in my life. But listen to me. It just wasn't wrapped that way. It wasn't wrapped that way. I was fooled by the wrapping. And I think if we're, if we're not careful, we can go through life and look at situations and circumstances that we're in and think it's that kind of package. It's wrapped that way just from what it looks like on the outside. But how many of you know there'll be a moment where we get to see what's on the inside and maybe, just maybe, we were fooled by the wrapping. And I think about stories like that, my breakup story and the gift that I now have as a result of that. And I think about Joseph's story. And here's what I'd like to tell you. God has a way of wrapping good gifts in ways that we don't expect. He's just got a way of doing it. Good gifts in ways that we don't expect. The end of a relationship wrapped in pain. That lost job wrapped in disappointment. That diagnosis wrapped in confusion and despair. That savior of mankind wrapped in a scandal. Here's my question for you today. How do we correctly navigate things we receive in life that appear wrapped up in ways that we don't expect? How do we do it? How do we navigate those situations? How do we look at those seasons and those things? We didn't expect it. We have it. It's here. It's a gift to us, but it's wrapped in a way that we never would have asked for. One year, I took a gift to my son Cole, and I wrapped it really well, and I taped it really well. You've seen those? Taped it over and over and over and over and over again. And he started working at it, and it was very, very, very hard to open. I would not have been surprised if he had just taken that thing and said, this is impossible, and cast it aside. But he didn't. He wrestled with it. He struggled with it. He worked at it. My question to you is, why do you think he did that? Why do you think he was so intent on finding out what that gift really was despite the packaging? I'll tell you, it wasn't just any old taped up box. It was a gift that came from his father. And he knows his father gives good gifts. 
And he had to wrestle with it. He had to struggle with it. But at the end of the day, he knew there was something on the other side. And I think that he would tell you today that while the struggle wasn't fun, the gift on the other side of it was worth it. And I want to show you just a small bit of perspective-changing truth today tucked into the story that we see from Joseph that will help us when we face the unexpected things in life. And here's the first thing I want you to, to write down today. Give it time before you give it a reaction. Give it time before you give it a reaction. That's what we see with Joseph, verse 19 through 20. Look at this. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Look at this phrase. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. That phrase implies that time has passed with careful thought. There wasn't a reaction. There wasn't an impulsive decision. He didn't find out she was pregnant, grab her by the hair, jerk her in the streets, and tell everybody what happened. He thought about it. He pondered. He considered these things in his house. Think about this. We read in Luke that an angel announces to Mary what's about to happen. Then she leaves to spend a few months with Elizabeth, her aunt. And I imagine it's when she returns home after a few months. That's when Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. God speaks to Mary on the front end of his gift, but God speaks to Joseph on the back end. Now, I'm sure there are times in our lives where God will meet us and give us a heads up of what's coming down the road, but my experience tells me more often than not, we find out, we get that heads up after the fact. How many of you found out more after the fact than you did beforehand? I think there's something in this story that we need to learn and take away. I've said this often. I can see God much more clearly looking backward than I can looking forward. Much more clearly looking backward than I can looking forward. Number one, I want you to give it time before you give it a reaction. Our second point today has two parts. Here's the first one. Fight the urge to go public. Fight the urge to go public. We can see very easily from this story, Joseph is a man of character and faith, not because Scripture says he was, but because of how we see he responded. He was unwilling to put her to shame. Essentially means this, he was unwilling to go public with what had happened. And here's the temptation. You do know you will always find someone to agree with you on social media. Hands down, guaranteed, there will be somebody in the comment section that says, oh my gosh, I can't imagine, you should do something about that. It's not hard. Too many times, though, I see people display a lack of internal fortitude by seeking external validation from people they don't really know. Do I need to say that one more time? Misery loves company. And I've seen too many people go public on social media, displaying for the world their lack of internal fortitude, seeking external validation from somebody that they don't really even know. Fight the urge to go public. When a crisis hits, you don't need participants, you need perspective. You don't need people to rally around you. You need to be able to see it from the way God sees it. You're too close to it. You're too far in. You need that godly perspective to look out and says, I know it looks this way. I know it's wrapped this way, but there might be something inside of this if we can just get through the struggle. Our first part, fight the urge to go public. Here's our second part, wait for God to speak. Fight the urge to go public. Wait for God to speak. Remember, 
God told Mary on the front end. He told Joseph on the back end. And it was only after he considered these things that God spoke to Joseph. Some of us are thinking, God isn't speaking to me, Pastor Don. I'm right in the middle of this thing. Have you stopped to consider? Have you stopped to think? Have you pondered? Have you said, God, what is this that's happening here? When Kayla and I got married, we received a lot of really, really good gifts. I mean, there were some, some really good gifts. We were at our registry turned in, and we're just blown away. People loved us beyond what we deserved and had a lot of good gifts that come and started. The gift I remember the most came from an old Cajun man that was part of our congregation. Um, and I didn't quite understand what it was when I got it. It was, it was an old piece of what looked like a bent steel frame. It was about this tall. And, it was the, and, he, and with it came the most odd-looking rake that I had ever seen. I got, I got pictures I'll show you so you can get an idea. This was the wedding gift that I got from this old Cajun man. And I, I remember thinking, I don't think we had a registry at Tractor Supply. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what it was. We got home from the honeymoon or unpacking gifts, and here was this waiting for me. And if I'm honest, I, it kind of felt like I was lying to say thank you. You ever got a gift that way that you're like, oh, thank you. I, I, I think it. And, and I was even more embarrassed to ask, what do you what do, you do with that? Like, like, what is that? And I finally got up the courage to say thank you for something I didn't appreciate getting. Follow me. I got up the courage to say thank you for something I didn't appreciate giving. And do you know what he told me? He said, man, I'm glad you like them. I drove by your home, and I saw all the trees and the leaves in the yard. And I've been raking up leaves in my yard for 40 years. It's the best way I've found to do it. You put the trash bag over the stand, and it stands up by itself. That rake, that muck rake, you can pick the leaves up and put them in. And you know what? He was right. That is by far the best way to pick up leaves in your yard. Some of you are thinking, oh, my goodness, the things you learn at Our Savior's Church. That's the best way to do it. He was right, and here's what I learned. The giver of the gift knows exactly why he gave it. The giver of the gift knows exactly why he gave it. I understand we often hear things like, well, God gives good gifts, and all things work together for good, and nothing enters my life unless it first passes through the hands of God. But nobody tells us how to respond when what has passed through his hands doesn't feel like a gift, or worse, it's wrapped in pain and heartbreak and disappointment. Can I tell you, only a word from the giver himself will settle a heart that is disappointed with the unexpected. Only a word from God himself I was thinking this week as I was preparing for this message, I had a conversation with Debbie, and we were talking about her husband, Kippy, who just recently went to be with the Lord. Kippy struggled with cancer for about five years, and uh, their story is amazing, and, and I had the privilege of knowing Kippy toward the latter end of his life, one of the funniest men you will ever meet at all. I'm just telling you, the guy had like nine lives. He was practically a cat. Every time the doctors would give him just a few more months, he would go another year and another year after that. They would catch him mowing his yard with a broken back. 
driving to Houston when he ought not be driving. I was amazed every time that they said they drove. And bless Debbie's heart, she was right there in the passenger seat the whole time. And I, I just can't, I can't imagine what that was like. Kippy loved the Lord. And his final moments, I remember this, he spent in worship. He spent in worship. It seemed like the closer he got to heaven, the further away all the cares and everything of this world got. And uh, in his homegoing, going, though it's sad, was such a picture of a godly man going home, receiving his final healing in heaven, a place where there is no more pain, no more tears, no more cancer. His early married life, the picture was, was a little different. Before he knew the Lord, Kippy was, was angry and a little bitter. and There was some unexpected loss in his, in his family that just threw everybody for a loop. You and I would struggle probably more so than he did. Such a strong, strong man. I remember a story Pastor Paul tells of his daddy, who was also a pastor, called Kippy one day. Kippy was in the hospital. And he said, Kippy, can I pray for you? Kippy cussed him out. <laughs> nope. And don't you ever bleep and call me again. How many of you know, just as God would have it, a few weeks later, Kippy's in a funeral service, gives his heart to the Lord, and God changes everything. But life still has a way of bringing things that are hard to wrestle with. As my son was struggling with unopening that package and all of that, Kippy, as you and I do in our lives today, struggled with his relationship. I think we assume, the way, maybe the way Debbie and Kippy did, that once you give your heart to the Lord, everything's going to be great. Right? That there's not going to be any struggles and no more wrestling and, and anything else like that. And their marriage struggled, as many of ours do, as we're trying to understand, why did you give this to me, God? Why is things like this? Why do things look the way that they look? And I remember talking to Debbie and talking to Kippy about this struggle. And as time went by, things just continued to struggle. And, and I think Debbie had reason, every reason to leave. Seven years ago, she would tell you their, their marriage was on the verge of divorce. And I remember her recounting the story to me. She said this. She said, God told me specifically not to leave him. God said, I'm going to chastise him, and he's going to need you. Those of you that know the story know it was about a year later that Kippy received that diagnosis that would ultimately take his life. And she would spend every single minute of the next five years as his primary care provider. All the trips, all the hospital stays, the drives to MD Anderson, sleeping on hospital furniture, tracking pain medications, praying for his healing, and she looks back on this season. We were talking just this week. And there was such fond affection in her voice, remembering those moments. And I started thinking to myself, how in the world could she look back on a season like that and feel that way about it? And then I started to realize the sicker he got, the closer they got together. The more she served him, the more he deepened and it depended on her and deepened his affection for her. The closer to the end he got, the closer to God he became. And his passing has been very difficult on her and the entire family, as it would anybody. But I was blown away when she said recently, I think the cancer saved our marriage. Still struggling, still wrestling, 
her husband not here, knowing fully where he's at, but can look back on a season and thought, I thought it was wrapped this way, but I really see how God had something else in store for our marriage. What causes a man and a woman in a difficult relationship to obey God and stick it out? What causes a wife to look back on a dark season and see the hand of God? I'll tell you what that is. She didn't just hear from God. She believed that he would do what he promised he would do. That will make all the difference in your life. Here's the third thing I would tell you today is we're talking about how do I unpack this? How do I not get fooled by the wrapping? I'm in a difficult season. I didn't ask for it. I'm hurting. It sucks. It's disappointing. What do I do? How do I do it? Here's the third thing I would tell you. Act on the truth of who you know, not on the pain of how you feel. Act on the truth of who you know, not on the pain of how you feel. Had Joseph acted on the pain of what he felt, he would have left Mary and the scandal of her pregnancy, and he would have missed out on the Savior growing in her womb. Look how our story ends. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had already spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? I want you to think about that gift that you're having a hard time unwrapping. And I want you to remember this story. And I want you to remember Emmanuel, God with us. God doesn't give us gifts and then walk away. He gives us gifts and then intently stays with us and walks with us through that. I'm mean, grateful for a God that doesn't just give things and then leave you to be by your own, but he walks with you every step of the way. No question, we serve a God that keeps his promises. But my question to you is, will you and I be the kind of people that acts as if we believe those promises are still true? Sometimes that can make all the difference with the struggle that we have with the gift. Will we stay firm knowing I serve a good God who gives good gifts Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, look what Joseph did. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until he had given birth to a son. And then he obeyed what he was told. He called his name Jesus. The birth of our Savior came wrapped in a scandal. The saving of a marriage came wrapped in a cancer diagnosis. Don't let the wrapping fool you. Don't let the wrapping fool you. If you look, Jesus is present in our pain. I want you to remember this as you think about your situation today. Following God doesn't mean we won't have pain. It just means our pain won't lack purpose. There's purpose in it. Is there pain? Yes. Does it hurt? Yes. Would you have asked for it in a different package? Answer? Absolutely. But when Jesus is present, when the gift comes from God, when it passes through his hands, he doesn't promise it won't hurt, but he does promise it will be for your better. There will be purpose in the pain. If you're here today and you're struggling with an unexpected 
or an unwanted situation, a circumstance, or a season in your life, something that's wrapped in a way you didn't ask for and didn't expect it, that's hard and unbearable, and you want to see God's hand in it, and you want to see the future and what God has. You want that purpose to be more prevalent than the pain. I'm going to ask you to do something very bold this morning. You don't have to tell anybody what it is, but if you're in a season, if you're in a situation, say, Pastor Don, would you pray for me? This is speaking to me right where I'm at. I want to ask you right where you're at just to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you if you're in a situation in a season. It's a gift. You just can't see it yet. You're trying to figure out how it's wrapped. You're trying to see what the end of it is. I want you to look. You're not alone. All those lies that the enemy told you that you're the only one. Nobody else is going through it. Nobody else would understand. Nobody could possibly. You're in it all by yourself. Look around. Look around. Those of you that have stood to your feet, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. It takes courage. You know what courage does for you? It allows you to stay put. When everything inside you tells you to tuck tail and run, you're going to stay put and trust those promises. Those of you that are standing, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to lift your hands as if you're receiving a gift. The rest of us are going to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those that are standing today. I ask, Father, that your presence would become so real and so, so tangible to them in this season that you wouldn't feel distant, you'd feel present. I pray, Father, that your, your very presence would be so real and so tangent to them. I pray, God, that you would allow them to see discernment in the middle of this, that patience would prevail, Father, that this desire to run would give way to faith and faith in abundance. And I pray, Father, that you would reveal your purpose in the middle of this pain. I thank you, Father, for every gift. It's hard sometimes to say thank you when we don't appreciate what we've been given, but we appreciate the Savior. So, Father, we say thank you for Jesus. Go ahead. Thank you for Jesus who's so present, who's so real, who walks with us in moments like this to help us when we struggle. And I pray this over them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Those of you that stood, I want to read these scriptures over your life, and I want them to sink deep. This is the word of God here. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And just 10 verses later, I am doing this so all who see this miracle will understand what it means, that it is the Lord who has done this, the Holy One of Israel who created it. You may be seated. I also know that there are some here today that say, Pastor Don, I don't know. I mean, I believe you believe what you're saying, but I'm having a hard time with this. I, I hear you, but I just don't see it. I just don't see God's gift in the middle of this pain. It's, it's almost incomprehensible for me, Pastor. I feel like if you knew my story, you would agree with me. I just can't see it. In John chapter 3, we read a story of a man who was wrestling 
with some decisions just like this. He was very religious, very wealthy, very affluent. He was the kind of guy other people would come to when they had questions about God. And he was talking to Jesus, and he didn't understand it all. And, and Jesus is talking about being born again. And he's like, Ooh, I don't know, man. How's a guy going to enter back into the womb? It's kind of weird. I just, I just don't see it. And here's what Jesus told him. He said, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see it unless you've been born again. It's as if Jesus knew and was trying to get that man to understand that there are some things in this life you need a lens to look through. That if you can't see through the right lens, you're not going to see the right purpose that God has for it. If you're looking at it like this instead of looking at it back here, you're not going to see it clearly. And I want to tell you the same thing that Jesus told that man. Unless you were born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven at work in your life. So, okay, well, Pastor Don, what does that look like? I'll tell you, it's as simple as A, B, C. How do you get those lenses? How do you get God's perspective on your situation? A stands for admit. Admit. Admit you're a sinner. Admit that your sin has separated you from a righteous and a loving God. It was your choices, not his, that caused you to separate. You walked away from him, not him walked away from you. The first step to having God's perspective, being able to see the kingdom at work in your life, is being able to admit that your sin has separated you from God. Here's the second thing. It's letter B, and it's believe. That God sent his son Jesus, interrupted all of humanity with a solution they could not solve for themselves. And if you're here today and you can admit and you can believe that God sent his son Jesus to fix what you've been trying to fix on your own, to live that perfect life you couldn't live, to pay that debt that you're due to pay that you can't possibly pay with anything less than your life. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I can admit and I can believe that God sent his son Jesus, then I would tell you the only thing left is see, and that's confess. What do I need to confess? You need to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. Savior's easy. When things are broken, when it's a mess, when you're up to your eyebrows and you can't see a way out of it, it's the Lord part that makes the difference. It's the Lord part that says, I confess that you are Lord of my life. You're in the driver's seat. I'm going to get out of the driver's seat. I'm going to walk around the car. I'm not even getting in the passenger seat. I'm going to get in the back seat and trust that you've got this, God. I'm going to let you lead my life. And if you're here today... You say, Pastor Don, I admit, and I believe, and I'm ready to confess. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to pray with you specifically. If you're here today, Pastor Don, I've never been born again, but I need that vision. I need that perspective. I need to see. I need those kingdom eyes. I need the Holy Spirit to keep doing that work inside of me to allow me to see that. I've never been born again, but I need to respond today. Will you pray with me? If that's you today, I want to invite you to raise your hand and look up at me. Raise your hand all over this room. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. I see you. Thank you. You're in the back row. I see your hand. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Balcony, I'm looking. Everybody's head is bowed. They're looking around. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I want to know what God's doing in your life. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand, too. 
One more time this Christmas season, I want you to see the gift, not be fooled by the wrapping. If you raise your hand before, you can put them down. One more time, I'm going to ask, raise your hand so I can include you in this prayer. I didn't raise my hand before, but I'm wanting to do it now. Thank you. I'm glad I asked. Those of you that raised your hand, I'm going to invite you to say this prayer out loud with me. It's not the prayer that saves you. God has done that. His Holy Spirit has come and brought a new birth inside of your life. But this prayer acknowledges the decision that you're making here today. Everybody say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. And I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare, God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, can we celebrate with those? who were born again today.